blessed. So blessed. Because not everybody knows what we know. and Not everybody has experienced what we've experienced. But here we are today. Saved. Aren't you glad? I am so eternally grateful for that. Glory to God. Go ahead and give it up to him. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to get into the word of God this morning. And uh, you can open your Bibles to Isaiah 46. We'll get there eventually. I want to talk to you about uh, the bright future of the righteous. The bright future of the righteous. I told you so, young man. You know I wasn't messing with you. <laughs> Bill and I are just having some fun here. It's all right. I want you to recognize this, that uh, who are the righteous to begin with? The, the Bible says that righteousness, and this is taught in the New Testament, is a free gift. So the, the mentality that a lot of us have had in times past that, well, what could you ever do to be a righteous person? What, how many prayers do you have to pray or books do you have to read or people do you have to minister to to attain a level of being called righteous? But in the eyes of God and according to the way God sees things, righteousness is not attained to by works. Righteousness is a free gift. Titus wrote, well, actually, Paul wrote to Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And, you know, Isaiah revealed that uh, our righteousness is his filthy rags. But God also said through Isaiah that regarding his people, their righteousness is of me. So if, if we're just dealing with our own righteousness... Yeah, Isaiah's right. Filthy rags, useless. Throw it out. But the fact that God would say their righteousness is of me tells us something. It tells us that God's intention was all along to give us his very own righteousness because he knew that ours wouldn't be good enough. Second Corinthians 5.21 seals the deal when it says that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. So the bright future of the righteous. So some of you might have thought, well, if only I could be righteous, then I'd have a bright future. But if you receive God's free gift of salvation, you've received God's free gift of righteousness, which means the future is bright for you. Hallelujah. You know what? One of the most common scriptures that a person can think of in terms of talking about the future is what God said through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29, verse 11, where he said, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God's into your future. God's into making your future bright. And I want to look at several key, very important things 
Because th this is very important because you know what your future is? It's where you're going. You need to be very up on where you're going. And you need to make sure that you're very well staying on the path that's going to take you there. <laughs> hey, hallelujah. So I want to look at several things today. The first main point that I want to dig into today is, first of all, that God has already been to your future. I, I know that sounds funny to us people who are so limited in time, but you see, God's not limited the way we are. God has already been to your future. You know, I, I, we're in Isaiah 46. We're going to read that in just a minute. There's a reference in Isaiah 57, 15 that I want you to write down. Isaiah 57, 15 literally says this, that God inhabits eternity. Now talk about a thought that'll make your mind go, ooh, inhabits eternity. That means that there's nowhere past, nowhere present, nowhere future you can go in time where he's, he's not already there. He inhabits eternity. He inhabits all the time that was, and even right now he inhabits all the time that ever will be. See, see we don't get that. We don't see how that's possible. But you see, that's why he's God and, and you're not. <laughs> Isaiah 46, do you have it? Let's check this out. This is God speaking. It says, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Think about this, that God, God don't start with the, the beginning. This is what God does. God goes to the end first, sees exactly how he wants to end it, and bases his beginning from there. He declares the end from the beginning. Things that have not yet been done from ancient times. And isn't that a very clear picture of the way God does things? Because before there was a virgin conceiving a child, 700 and so years before that, the prophet Isaiah was already talking about it. Why? Because God already been there, knew what was going to happen. Many, many years before Events that are even in, uh, happening in our generation, like the idea of Israel becoming a nation, which happened in 1948. God had already talked about that long before it happened. But you see, uh, that's one thing we need to understand about God, is that God's not waiting for the future to find out what's going to happen. He's already been there. But not only in the broad historical sense, God's already been there for you. God's already been to your future. And you know what he's looking to do? He's looking to line some things up for you. We're going to see that this morning. Hallelujah. Now, now there's another verse I'd love you to write down that just gives us a little insight into God's way of thinking when it comes to time. Revelation 13, 8. Revelation 13, 8, it makes a reference to Jesus 
calling him the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Now, if you're technically looking at time, you see that Jesus died somewhere around A.D. 30. You'll see that the lamb was slain somewhere around A.D. 30. But in the mind of God and according to the way God sees things, Jesus is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world because he already went ahead in time. And if God had already went ahead in time in those instances, I want us to realize this in the broad sense, but like I said, in the personal sense too, that God's already gone ahead of where we are right now for your life, for the life of this church. He's already gone ahead. And, and, and what's, what's he doing? He's determining the outcome that he wants. And then he goes back to the beginning. He determined the outcome that he wants. Said it. And when he said it, that was the beginning. Because when he said it, it goes in motion. When he said it, I mean, God said, my covenant I will not break, nor will I alter the thing that gone forth out of my lips. When God says something, hey, it's a done deal. Yet at the same time, um, God also does require something on our part called uh, obedience. And the last thing you'd want to be doing is finding yourself sidetracked, messed up, not in the right place, not because God didn't do his part to set you up, but you didn't obey and follow the path. But oh, when you obey and follow the path, and he's already been there to hook you up, mwah, that's called good living, y'all. <laughs> see, God finishes what he starts. That, that's the second thing we need to see this morning. God's already been to, to your future, but you also need to understand God finishes what he starts. We see that about God. Revelation 1.8 reveals uh, Jesus identifying himself there as the, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. See, see he's not just a, a fast finisher. I mean, a fast starter, but he's not one to bring things to completion. Believe me, God is a strong finisher. God brings things to completion. It's in his nature. It's in his name. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Hebrews 12, verse 2, says about Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about this. If Jesus could look into the future and see the joy that was set before him, and that joy served as motivation. That joy helped him to endure the suffering and the pain that he was going through. The, the, the suffering of the cross. The suffering of being separated by, from his father. If Jesus could endure based on the joy that was set before him, somehow there's something inside of me that thinks that if we could get a glimpse of the joy that is set before us, some of those hard times wouldn't be so hard after all. 
I remember going through some of the hardest times of my life. And, and you know what I did? And I thank God that the Holy Ghost led me this way to be able to do this. I, I was able to keep my eye on a place that I didn't get to yet. Because if, if you looked at where you're at, I mean, that just leads to more depression because you don't like very much where you're at. But if you could see the joy that was set before you and, and, and where you were headed. Oh, yeah, that's more like it. And, and, and you know, there was a verse that I, I clung to during that time, and it really fits right here. It's out of Psalm 27, where the writer of the psalm said, I would have fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I think there's somebody here this morning who could use to get a glimpse of the joy that's set before you. Because that'll help you to endure because if you don't endure, you'll never be able to get there. If you don't endure, you'll never get to the point where you can taste it. But if you do endure and you do stand the test of time and the test that you're currently in, then it gets you to the point where you do get to see it, taste it, experience it, and you won't be deprived of that joy that God had set before you. Come on, say a big amen. amen. God finishes what he starts. Go to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. Here's another reference I'll give you to write down. First Thessalonians 5.24, specifically out of the New American Standard Bible says this. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will bring it to pass. He's not one to call you, get it started, and then drop you like a hot potato. No, if anybody's dropping it, it's, it's us, it's not him. I mean, we, we, can, we can't say this enough. That when there's a problem, when there's something not working right, it's never his fault. You don't have to worry about whether he's going to do his job or not. You don't have to worry whether he's going to come through or not. You don't have to sweat that. The question is if we're going to follow through on what we need to follow through on. I'll never forget the words of a preacher. Um, uh, somebody said to him, said, well, I tried that and it didn't work. And he said right back to the person who said that to him, he said, well, you know what? The Bible says that the word of the Lord is tried. So you didn't try it. The, the Bible says the word's already tried. What happened was the word tried you and you didn't work. Ah, oh. that's one to remember. Do you have Philippians 1? Check it out. Verse 6, being confident. I mean, you can shout right there. This is not iffy, maybe, could be, hopefully, oh, if I could just make it there. No, this is being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God finishes what he starts. You can have confidence in that. Confidence in the fact that he that has begun it is going to complete it. 
And you know, you can look at life and see where the Lord's begun a good work in you. And you can say, well, I just don't know how he's going to do it. But we don't have to worry about how he's going to do it. You know, one of the biggest frustrations for humanity is when they try to do God's part of it. Because we're not equipped to do God's part of it. We're not equipped to set up what only he can set up and do what only he can do. Orchestrate what only he can orchestrate. And if you try to do God's part, oh, you end up just very frustrated. Because you just don't have the goods to do it. And neither do I. But if you let God be God and you just do what you're supposed to do, Everything works out real good. Hallelujah. Number three. <clears throat> Your future has already been prepared for you. Your future has already been prepared for you. Key word Prepare, prepared, preparation, prepare. That's a key word. Hold on to that. I want you to listen to this. I want to read to you a verse out of the Amplified Bible. It is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, but specifically the way that it's worded in the Amplified Bible. So I want you to hear this. For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship. Recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined or planned beforehand for us, that we would be taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, and that we should be living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Oh, I wish we had that on the big screens right now so y'all could see it for yourself. Listen to this again. We're taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. Because he's already been there. So he already been there and prepared and set up some paths for you to take. And, and why, why are those paths there? It says that we should walk in them. Because, you know, if God's going out and doing something and you don't walk in it, you don't get the benefit of it. That's pretty simple. <laughs> so it's there for us to walk in them. And then it says living the good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us. To live. It's the good life. Come on now. God's got the good life for you. Any devil that told you otherwise, he's a liar. God's got a good life for you. Does that mean you don't have any problems at all? No, don't mean that. But it sure means you got a good life in spite of the problems you may have to deal with. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. It's a reference 
to something that was written in the Old Testament. It's being quoted here. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed those things unto us by his spirit. And then it goes on from there. But think about this, that there's things that God has prepared for those who love him that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. You ain't even thought about it yet. And you know, these things are not just the blessing that comes in the world to come. There are things right here in this life for you that are bigger than your, your mind could fathom, bigger than your eyes could see, bigger than your ears could hear, bigger than you could handle. There are things right here in this current life that you can't even hardly imagine. Is there anybody here that believes that? Yes. That God's not called you to just live a humdrum life, but there's something out there that is bigger than you can imagine. It's his purpose, his plan, his work for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we see this word showing up, this word prepare or prepared. Now we know this. We, we know that the fact that God's gone ahead and prepared some things is not a guarantee that you're going to live trouble-free. We established that already. Trouble comes. Righteous people got to deal with it too. But Psalm 34 says this, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all his trouble. Psalm 34, the same chapter also says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And of course, that all makes sense when you look at Psalm 23 and the idea that God uh, would have prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. There's that word again, prepared. That means he's going ahead. He's setting you up. Someone say it's a setup. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's setting you up. He, he's making connections here. That, that God would have gone into your future and saw a time where you would have been surrounded by enemies on every side. And so what's he going to do? He's going to set up the buffet table. He said, no, you're not going to be there and have to fight off all these enemies because the battle is the Lord's. I'm going to fight for you, the Lord said. You just go ahead and sit down and eat. <laughs> And he's already gone ahead and has prepared that table for you, even when you're surrounded by your enemies. Come on, somebody. Now, you got to go to the book of uh, Psalms. Look, go to Psalm 97 and also Proverbs 2. Both of those, they're pretty close together, just a, maybe 30 or so pages apart. From Psalm 97, Proverbs 2. You got to see this. For yourself. Someone say the future is bright. Future is bright. <coughs> yeah. Oh, glory to God forever. Psalm 97 and Proverbs 2. We're going to check out Psalm 97 first. Look at verse 11. Psalm 97, verse 11, it says this, light is sown 
for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. I want you to think about this, that God went ahead in time and saw the darkest place of your life. And he sowed some seeds of light before you got there. Knowing that, that when, when you got there, he knew you were going to need to see where you're going because it was going to be dark. But he sold, he sold light for you, the righteous. And when you get to that point in time, a place that would have otherwise been dark and almost impossible to navigate through, ooh, you got light. How did that happen? Because God saw ahead that you were going to need some, when you were going to need it, and he put it there for you, placed it there, so that all you had to do is be on his path. And on his path is where the provision is. Which means if you took another path, (laughs) no guarantee of provision. Did you get that? So where's the provision at? It's on his path. So he's prepared a path for you. He's prepared a future for you. So if you take his road, the stuff is there. All the stuff that he's gone ahead and worked on, that's the only way that you get that. That, That's the only place where you find it. If you take any other road but his, you don't access it. The provision's not there. It's only on the road that he's set up for you. That's big. That's huge, y'all. Proverbs 2. Check this out. Hallelujah. (coughs) It says, Proverbs 2, verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. What a thought. Think about this. God stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Uh, just went ahead of time, saw the point in your life where you're going to need the, the most uh, uh, insight and wisdom to know what to do, to know how to handle things. And, and just went and stored it up for you. Just built a wisdom storehouse right there, right on your path. And you get to the certain point in time in your path with God and you realize, whoo. Boy, there's some big decisions to make. There's there's some serious things that I need to consider here. I need wisdom from God. And boom, you realize God's already been ahead of the game for you and has set up right on that particular place along the path you're walking, this storehouse filled with wisdom that you need just at that point in time. And you say, hmm, here's a sign that you've already been here, Lord. Already been here and already set me up and hooked me up with what I needed when I needed it. Yes. Hallelujah. Yeah, we're we're seeing some things here. So God's part was the preparation. Our part is the obedience. Warning, 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 warning. Some people get off track and recover. Some people get off track and never recover. When you've been around for a while, you've seen some of both. And a warning that I believe God has for us this morning along this line is to avoid running red lights and taking wrong turns. 
Running red lights means going when you should have stopped. Taking the wrong turn, that's when you go in one direction when you should have gone another. You see, when, our, uh, when it comes to our spiritual walk, we can't handle directions like most guys do. When it comes to taking the path of God, you, you, you can't you just say, oh, I know, I know where I'm going. Oh, directions, who needs those? You need directions. You're covered twofold. You got directions. You got a map to follow. And you've got a GPS inside of you named the Holy Ghost. And, and, and better than the GPS in my wife's phone that I don't like that lady very much. <laughs> the, the map with the directions and the GPS are always in agreement. That's wonderful. Glory to God. That, that sure beats the alternative. You know, I mean, you, you're doing the most obvious thing in the world. You just did what that thing told you to do, and you hear recalculating root. It's like, <laughs> that just gets to me. But anyway. <laughs> but three particular areas that, that, that I think, we, there's more than three, but I, I believe there's three we need to just talk about today real quick that we need to stay off of when it comes to getting off the path. That's number one is impatience. Number two is worldliness. And number three is self-will. Impatience, worldliness, and self-will. Impatience, we see a classic case of that with Abraham and Sarah. Who because of impatience... We're tired of waiting for the Lord, so let's see if we can come up with a plan to make this happen. Got Hagar involved, had Ishmael, but, but God said, no, this is not the, the way it's, it's going to happen. And so what happened is that they did still ultimately get to their destiny, but there was a sidetrack along the way that really was not according to uh, God's intention. Because they tried to make something happen, tried to make God's word come to pass, rather than just say, I just do what I'm supposed to do and I let the Lord do what he's supposed to do. So impatience, what that does, that causes people to take matters into their own hands. And you know what? Let it not be said that we are those who take matters into our own hands, but those that put our matters in the Lord's hands. Because he can handle your matters better than you can handle them. And then besides that, it's only what he has to say that really matters about your matters. Amen. Amen. So impatience, something definitely to look out for. Because I'll tell you, you know, uh, Brother Hagen, uh, who had gone home to be with the Lord in 2003 and certainly was very instrumental in even this very church being here, um, uttered these words. He said, I'd rather be a little bit behind God than ahead of him. Because if I'm a little bit behind, I can still see him. But if I'm ahead of him, he's out of my view. And I think there's a whole lot of wisdom in that statement. Amen. So look out for impatience as something that, get you, that, that can get you off the road that God's got 
for your future. Also worldliness. I remember Demas, who uh, the apostle Paul spoke about one time as being his fellow laborer. But then in the last chapter of the last epistle that Paul wrote before he died, he said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Sidetracked from the road that God had for him and the thing that did it was worldliness. I thought this morning about the, the parable of the sower where it said that the, the cares of this world and the lust or desires of other things came in and choked the word. Do not let the bright lights and the, the lures and the attractions of worldliness get you off track from the future God's got for you. And self-will, self-will, let me share this with you. It was May 1997, and we had the privilege here at Faith Christian Center of having world-renowned evangelist Reinhard Bonnke speak to us. And the next day, I was bringing him and several members of his team up to Logan Airport. So this is a moment that is always etched in my mind. I'm in the driver's seat, and, and, and Reverend Bonnke's in the passenger seat. And we're just talking about some things. And then there's this moment where it's like something came on him. And he turned to me and said, do you know what the sin of the particle son was? And I said, tell me what it was. He said, it was self-will. That's my best imitation of his little German accent. <laughs> self-will. He did whatever he wanted to do. And I never forgot that. Self-will. He did whatever he wanted to do. God's talking to people in this building this morning. Because for too long, you've just been doing whatever you want to do. And you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Stop doing what you want to do. And do what he wants you to do. Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. John Bevere said something that I, I wanted to capture and and bring to you here today. It's not an exact quote, but I know I captured the spirit of it. And, and it's simply this, that we will be judged based upon how much our path that we travel in this life looks like the path he prepared for us. Good news, if your path that you travel looks a lot like the path he prepared. And bad news if the road and the path that we travel looks very drastically different from the one he prepared. That stuck with me. Ooh, Lordy. And some of you might be discouraged at this very moment and say, well, I know that my path don't look all that much like it's the, the one that the Lord's got for me. Well, guess what? You're still here. You're still traveling. And you can do something about it. Glory to God. Number four, your future in God is ever on the incline. 
Glory to God. Ever on the incline. Write this down. Job 17, 9 says that the righteous will hold to his way and he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger. Yeah. Stronger and stronger. Ever on the incline. You're in Proverbs 2. Go to Proverbs 4. Look at verse 18. Proverbs 4 and verse 18. It says this, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. Oh, yeah. Brighter and brighter. Someone say, my future is bright. You know, of course, I often uh, have made reference to this verse. I just love it. Isaiah 9, 7, after the wonderful word spoken about Jesus. In Isaiah 9, 6, that he's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Then verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. Well, you say, well, that's wonderful. How does that affect me? I'll tell you how it affects you. How does his government affect you? Well, you're going to be ruling and reigning with him. So you're certainly part of that. How does his peace affect you? Well, don't you know that Jesus already said, my peace I give to you? So if his government and his peace is always on the increase and the increase of it will never end, guess what that means for you? It means the same for you that it does for him because you're in him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Always on the increase and never on the decline. Number five, good seeds sown in the present bring future rewards. Good seeds sown in the present bring future rewards. Go to Isaiah. You're not that far away, just a little bit ahead of Proverbs is Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 3. I want you to see something. Isaiah 3. One reference he could write down in the meantime is this. Proverbs eleven eighteen says that he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. He who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. Isaiah 3, verse 10. Isaiah 3, 10. Are you there? Check it out. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them. For they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Why can you say to a righteous man it'll be well with them? Because they're going to eat the fruit of their doings. And their doings were good doings. Their doings were good seeds. So when it comes to eat the crop of the seed you sowed, if it's good seed, you don't mind eating good harvest from good seed. But if, it, <laughs> if you've been sowing Bad seed, and then you get to eat the fruit of your doings? That's nasty. You want that taste in your mouth. That's why what you sow is so important. Because that thing you sow is going to end up on your dinner table sooner or later. And it can either taste real good if you sowed the right kind of seed. It can be tasty or it can be nasty. And, and the choice is ours. 
Isaiah 32 verse 17 says this, that the work of righteousness will be peace and that the effect of righteousness will be quietness and assurance forever. There's an effect to living a righteous life, to being a righteous man, a righteous woman, and staying on the road that God's called you to. What is that effect? It's quietness and assurance forever. And then besides that, it's not just this life that we've got promise of things to come. We got blessings in the next life too. Lord knows Proverbs 14, 32 says the righteous has a refuge in his death. Good seed sown. Righteousness sown. A righteous life sown. And what's the fruit down the road? Oh, there's refuge in his death. Hebrews 11, 16, God said that, that he's prepared for us a city. There's a place that once this life is over, the righteous get to go to that is better than anything you can imagine, greater than anything you can imagine. And if you ain't shouting about it, you just really ain't got it yet. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. We're going there, y'all. Hallelujah. And there's that word again, prepared. I go to prepare a place for you. See, he's already been there. Working on your place, working on my place. Come on now. You know, Matthew 25, uh, uh, Jesus said in there that uh, uh, words describing the, the, the day where the, the sheep, the sheep and the goats are separated. And what does he say to the sheep? He said, come on in. <coughs> he says, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's that word again. See, it was prepared. Signs that God already went ahead and, and, and did some things in preparation for you and me, the righteous. Hallelujah. And as we close, let's close with this. Your future has already been provided for. Your future has already been provided for. Can't help <laughs> but think about Abraham going up Mount Moriah with his son, his only son. Actually, not his only son because he also had Ishmael. But this was the, the son of the promise. This is the one that God said he's going to fulfill his promise through. God said, take him up and sacrifice him. Offer him as a burnt offering. So they get up there and Isaac makes a, a realization. He realizes all the stuff is there, but, but doesn't see the animal for the sacrifice. Say, hey, dad, something's missing here. And Abraham said, don't worry about it. The, the Lord will 
provide himself a lamb. And what happened is that at the moment he was about to plunge the knife into his son, out of total obedience to God, the angel spoke, said, no, you don't have to. I know what you're made of. I know that you'll obey me. I know you, Abraham. <laughs> and guess what? Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, which is translated uh, several ways. Uh, in some places you see it as the Lord who sees. And in other places you see the Lord, uh, our provider. Now, the word provide is interesting. Pro means before, and vide means to see. How do you know vide means to see? You put an O on the end of vide, you got video. Good revelation, huh? So you can see the root words have something to do with seeing. <laughs> So the word provide literally means to be able to see ahead. To think about this. This is what we've been talking about this morning. The God who sees ahead. He saw ahead knowing what provision was going to be necessary at that moment in time. And because he was already there, he already made the arrangement for that ram to be caught in the thicket just at that right moment so that when Abraham got there to that point in time, because he was doing what God said to do and doing it where God said to do it, all he had to do is look aside and boom, there's provision. There's provision. There's the ram. So God said, no, you don't have to sacrifice Isaac. Well, we're, we're going to sacrifice that ram that the Lord provided. And what an amazing thought to think about this, that God has already provided answers for you before you even knew you had a need. Glory to God. Already provided an answer for you before you even realized you had a need. But you see, a very key thing here is that Abraham didn't just have to do what the Lord said, but he had to do it where the Lord said to do it. Because if he was on another mountain, not the mountain the Lord said to be on, that provision was not going to be there. He had to not just do what the Lord said, but he had to do it where the Lord said to do it. That's very key. That's very important. Reminds me of a great sermon that John Osteen, the founder of Lakewood Church in Houston, used to preach called A Place Called There. Talking about the, the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Talking about the, the famine that was in the land and how the Lord would provide for him. And, and the Lord said to him, go to the brook Cherith. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Which means if you go to another brook, I can't guarantee provision. But if you go to, down the path that I'm telling you to go, when you get there, the provision is there. And what happened? He went to the brook Cherith. The brook right up. And so he said, all right, I want you to go to a city called Zarephath. I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. So what happens? He goes over to Zarephath and right in the middle of a famine, he meets this widow woman and is sustained there. Because there is the place of provision. And he's already been there before you get there to make sure what you need is there before you get there. Glory to God. Did you get that? 
He's already been there before you get there. So what you need is there is before you get there. There's a whole lot of theirs there. But I know you got the message. Glory to God. Give God some praise this morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. 